Chapter 27 of The Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. The Conquest by Oscar Michaud. Chapter 27 The Sacrifice Race Loyalty. Getting back to the affair of the Scotch girl, I hated to give up her kindness and friendship. I would have given half my life to have had her possess just a least bit of negro blood in her veins, but since she did not and could not help it any more than I could help being a negro, I tried to forget it, straightened out my business, and took a trip east, bent on finding a wife among my own. As the early morning train carried me down the road from Megory, I hoped with all the hope of early manhood I would find a sensible girl, and not like many I knew in Chicago, who talked nothing but clothes, jewelry, and a good time. I had no doubt there were many good-colored girls in the East, who— if they understood my life, ambition, and morality, would make a good wife and assist me in building a little empire on the Dakota Plains, not only as a profit to ourselves, but a credit to the Negro race as well. I wanted to succeed, but hold the respect and goodwill of the community, and there are few communities that will sanction a marriage with a white girl, hence the sacrifice. I spent about six weeks visiting in Chicago and New York, finally returning west to southern Illinois to visit a family in Seadale, near Embro, who were the most prosperous colored people in the town. They owned a farm near town, nine houses, and lots in the city, and were practical people who understood business and what it took to succeed. They had a daughter whom I had known as a child back in the hometown, M. Plus, where she had cousins that she used to visit. She had by this time grown into a woman of five and twenty. Her name was Daisy Hinshaw. Now, Miss Hinshaw was not very good-looking, but had spent years in school and in many ways was unlike the average colored girl. She was attentive and did not have her mind full of cheap, showy ideals. I had written to her at times from South Dakota, and she answered with many inviting letters. Therefore, when I wrote her from New York that I intended paying her a visit, she answered in a very inviting letter, but boldly told me not to forget to bring her a nice present, that she would like a large purse." I did not like such boldness. I should have preferred a little more modesty, but I found the purse, however, a large seal one in a Fifth Avenue shop for six dollars, which Miss Hinshaw displayed with much show when I came to town. The town had a colored population of about one thousand, and the many girls who led in the local society looked enviously upon Miss Hinshaw's catch and the large seal purse, and I became the man of the hour in Seadale. 
the only marriageable man in the town who did not gamble get drunk and carouse in a way that made him ineligible to decent society was the professor of the colored school he was a college graduate and received sixty dollars a month he had been spoiled by too much attention however and was not an agreeable person miss hinshaw was dignified and desired to marry and to marry somebody that amounted to something but she was so bold and selfish she took a delight in the reports that were going the rounds that we were engaged and I was going to have her come to South Dakota and file on a Tip County homestead relinquishment that I would buy, and we would then get married. The only objector to this plan was myself. I had not fallen in love with Miss Hinshaw, and did not feel that I could. Daisy was a nice girl, however, a little odd in appearance, having a light brown complexion without color or blood visible in the cheeks, was small and bony, padded with so many clothes that no idea of form could be drawn. I guessed her weight at about ninety pounds. She had very good hair, but gray eyes that gave her a caddish appearance. She had me walking with her alone and permitted no one to interfere. She would not introduce me to other girls while out, keeping me right by her side and taking me home and into her parlor with her and her alone as company. One day I went uptown, and while there took a notion to go to the little mining town to see the relatives who had got me the job there seven years before. But it was ten miles, with no train before the following morning. Just then, the colored caller called out a train to Emboro and St. Louis, and all of a sudden it occurred to me that I had almost forgotten Miss Rooks. Why not go to Emboro? I had not expected to pay her a visit, but suddenly decided that I would just run over quietly and come back on the train to Seadale at five o'clock that afternoon. I jumped aboard, and as Emboro was only eight miles, I was soon in the town and inquiring where she lived. I found their house presently. They were always moving, and just a trifle nervously rang the bell. The door was opened in a few minutes, and before me stood Jessie. She had changed quite a bit in the three years, and now with long skirts and the eyes looked so tired and dreamlike she was quite fascinating this i took in at a glance she stammered out oh oscar devereux extending her hand timidly and looking into my eyes as though afraid she looked so lonely and i had thought a great deal of her a few years ago and perhaps it was not all dead and the next moment she was in my arms, and I was kissing her. I did not go back to Seadale on the five, nor the eight o'clock, and I did not want to on the last train that night. I was having the most carefree time of my life. They were hours of sweetest bliss. With Jessie snugly held in the angle of my left arm, we poured out the pent-up feelings of the past years 
I had a proposition to make, and had reasons to feel it would be accepted. The family had a hard time making ends meet. Her father had lost the mail carrier's job and had run a restaurant later and then a saloon. Failing in both, he had gone to another town, starting another restaurant, and had there been assaulted by a former admirer of Jesse's, who had struck him with a heavy stick, fracturing the skull and injuring him so that for weeks he had not been able to remember anything. Although he was then convalescing, he was unable to earn anything. Her mother had always been helpless, and the support fell on her and a younger brother, who acted as special delivery letter carrier and received twenty dollars a month, while Jesse taught a country school a mile from town, receiving twenty-five dollars per month. This she turned over to the support of the household and made what she earned sewing, after school hours, supply her own needs. It was a long and pitiful tale she related as we walked together along a dark street, with her clinging to my arm and speaking at times in a half-sob. My heart went out to her, and I wanted to help, and said, "'Why did you not write to me? Didn't you know that I would have done something?' Well she answered slowly. I started to several times, but was so afraid that you would not understand. She seemed so weak and forlorn in her distress. She had never been that way when I knew her before, and I felt sure she had suffered, and I was a brute not to have realized it. Twelve o'clock found me as reluctant to go as five o'clock, but as we kissed lingeringly at the door, I promised when I left Seadale two evenings later I would stop off at Emborough and we would discuss the matter pro and com. This was Saturday night. The next morning I called to see Daisy. I was unusually cheerful, and taking her face in my hands, blew a kiss. She looked up at me with her gray eyes alert and with an air of suspicion said you've been kissing somebody else since you left here then leading me into the parlor in her commanding way ordered me to sit down and to wait there until she returned she had just completed cleaning and dusting the parlor and it was in perfect order she seemed to me to be more forward than ever that morning, and I felt a suspicion that I was going to get a curtain lecture. However, I escaped the lecture, but got stunned instead. Daisy returned in about an hour, dressed in a rustling black silk dress with powdered face and her hair done up elegantly and without ceremony or hesitation, planted herself on the set tea and requested, or rather ordered me, to take a seat beside her. She opened the conversation by inquiring of South Dakota, and took my hand and pretended to pare my fingernails. I answered in nonchalant tones, but after a little she turned her head a little slantingly, looked down, began just the least hesitant but firmly, 
now what arrangements do you wish me to make in regard to my coming to south dakota next fall for the love of jesus i said to myself if she hasn't proposed now one advantage of a dark skin is that one does not show his inner feeling as noticeably as those of the lighter shade and i do not know whether miss henshaw noticed the look of embarrassment that overspread my countenance i finally found words to break the deadly suspense following her bold action oh i stammered more than spoke i would really rather not make any arrangements daisy well she said not in the least taken aback a person likes to know just how they stand yes of course i added hastily you see i was just starting in on a lengthy discourse trying to avoid the issue when the doorbell rang and a relative of mine by the name of menlo robinson who had attended the university the same time Miss Henshaw had, but had been expelled for gambling and other bad habits, came in. He was a bore most of the time with so much of his college talk, but I could have hugged him then. I felt so relieved. But Miss Henshaw put in, before he got started to talking, wickedly, that of course, if I did not want her, she could not force it. The next day at noon I left for St. Louis, but did not mention that I was scheduled to stop off at Embro. Miss Hinshaw had grown sad in appearance and looked so lonely I felt sorry for her and kissed her good-bye at the station, which seemed to cheer her a little. She was married to a classmate about a year later, and I have not seen her since. Jessie was glad to see me when I called that evening in Embro, and we went walking again, and had another long talk. When we got back, I sang the old story to which she answered with, Do you really want me? Sure, Jessie, why not? I looked into her eyes that seemed just about to shed tears, but she closed them and snuggled up closely and whispered, I just wanted to hear you say you wanted me. End of chapter 27